0: All of us want to be the best version of ourselves, but often things get in the way. We can get in our own way. Knowing what our best looks like is one of the biggest struggles of being the best of you. You know, so at some point in your life, you're going to be in a disappointing season, and you're going to be in a difficult season. And it happens at at church, it happens at work, it happens at home, and and outside of of our church, there's probably something in your life right now that is not going the way that you expected it to go. There's maybe a relationship that you thought was going to be a little bit different. And in those moments, um, we will often ask why questions. Why is this happening? Why doesn't God step into this? Why doesn't God stop this? When, when, when your teenager doesn't turn out like you, like you hoped, you, you say, God, why, why did you give me this kid? Why didn't I get the other person's kid? You know, when your marriage doesn't go the way that you hoped, you go, why, why did I get this marriage? Why'd you give me this spouse? This isn't the person that I married. And we ask these why questions. And, and we do this too, like throughout the years of, of faith of, and whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you, you've probably asked like, God, why, why is this happening? Why does this earthquake happen? Why does this tsunami happen? Why does this, this famine happen? God, why don't you step in? And we'll ask this too. You'll hear, you'll hear people say like, if God is so good, then, then why does he allow this? If God is so powerful, why does he allow this? And, and numerous times as I've done funerals over the year, I remember the first funeral that I did, we had just moved to Tucson. I was 28 years old. There was a guy in our church who's in the Air Force and he had committed suicide. And and the room is just filled with friends and family saying, why? I remember the last funeral that I did in Tucson was, was a baby that lived for six hours. And just standing there saying, God, why? And recently, if you've been part of our church, you know that recently we celebrated Paul and Gail's life a few weeks ago. And Paul had passed away from cancer and, and at the funeral, I'm sitting there talking with somebody and they just said, why is it just the good people who get cancer and die? And in our heads, we know that, that that's not true. We know that cancer and sickness and, 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 and depression and betrayal, we know that that hits all of us. But one of the biggest struggles of faith is how to reconcile pain, suffering, disappointment and the love of God. It's one of the most difficult forks in the road. Like, how do you handle the heartbreaking moments of life? How do you handle the moments where God seems absolutely silent and distant and still trust that he's good? And like I said, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you've probably tried to reconcile this. You've probably tried to wonder, And it's what throughout history, the church fathers and mothers have called how how to find God in the dark night of the soul. Like, how do you find God in the darkest places? And you've probably been there where you've laid on the ground, you've laid in your bed and you just wonder, God, if you're even out there, if you are even listening. And James knew about the dark night of the soul. James is one that watched if you remember he's the brother of Jesus he watches Jesus grow up he watches Jesus get crucified he watches Jesus rise from the dead and after that after walking through all of that we find that James moves into his faith and i mentioned this throughout this series as we looked at this idea about how to be the best of you we know that the only way to be all that god has called you to be the only way to grow into all the maturity that god has for you is to walk through the dark nights of the soul we would love I would love it. I'll just speak for myself. I would love for me to become all that God wants me to be and to have all the maturity that God wants me to have with nothing but rainbows and roses. I would love that. And yet, throughout, throughout my faith journey, and if you ask anybody, anybody who's followed Jesus for any length of time, they will tell you, the seasons of darkness have been the ones where I've grown the most. We don't. We don't want them. We don't long for them. And yet it is in those seasons that God's voice, I think, becomes the clearest. And James, what's interesting in in these five chapters, he talks about two things twice. Prayer, which we're going to look at next week, and suffering, difficulty. And the reason he does that is because I think prayer and suffering are two of the biggest parts of the Christian life. They're two of the biggest parts of the Christian life. They're also two of the places that God speaks the loudest to us. He speaks the loudest through prayer. He also speaks through his word and, and numerous other ways, but he also speaks through difficulty. And this is how we know that you can't, you can't get to all that God wants you to be without, without difficulty. It's where James starts, like in, in chapter one. Let's go back to where we started a, a couple months ago. James chapter one, he says, "'Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, "'whenever you experience various trials.'" because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. Now, here's the thing. I want to leave this up for a second, okay? Because right now, let's just be honest, we're in church together, okay? Right now, many of us are in this situation where you feel like your faith is being tested. You are in this place. I am in this place. Our church is in this place where you feel like your faith is being tested. And what does James say? He says, be joyful. Consider it a great joy. Not just, not just joy, great joy. Why? Because it's not, it's not wasted. It's not useless. Because you know the testing of your faith produces endurance. Here's one of the things, we've seen this numerous times in James where he talks about endurance and all throughout the New Testament. One of the themes of the Christian life is building endurance. So when we hit hard times and we lack that endurance, it makes it really hard to move forward. But here's the thing, when when we need endurance, many times we are surprised that we need endurance in faith. when James says it builds endurance, and to get to who God wants you to be, to get to the place where you are all that God has called and created you to be, you will need endurance. So buckle up and expect to need endurance. So that, what does it do? The testing of our faith builds endurance so that you may be mature, complete, and lacking nothing. And then in chapter five, he returns to it. See, and here's the thing that we're gonna see in chapter five. He begins to give us a window of what God is doing in those places. And I think part of our struggle is we, we actually ask some of the wrong questions in these moments. See, a lot of times we want to ask God why questions. That's where we start. We wanna ask God why questions. But God is actually looking, I think, for us to ask what and who questions. We want to ask God, why is this happening? Why are you allowing this? Why is this going the way that it is? And God wants us to focus in more on what and who questions. Here's what I mean. Look at verse seven. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You must also be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. And so James says, as you wait, be patient. But in the midst of waiting, in the midst of storms, in the midst of disappointment, patience is not at all a virtue that we would like to have. It's not one I want to have. Over the years, as, as different people have, you know, when you've chosen your word for the year, I've never chosen patience. Do you know why? I'll tell you exactly why. Because every time that I have prayed for patience in a situation, God has simply just given me the opportunity to be more patient. And the way that God grows us in our patience is what does he do? He just says, hey, let me give you some opportunities to be patient. And this is, and this is frustrating, but it's also Here's what also James is telling us. When you need patience with somebody, when you need patience with a situation, you are probably in the spot that God wants you to be in to grow. And James says, be like the farmer. But patience is difficult because like, I I, I don't want to be like the farmer. I want it to be over. I want the rains to come. I want, if there's a reason for something, I want to know what it is so I can learn the lesson and move forward. If it's somebody else's fault, I want, to, I want, to, you know, I want them to learn the lesson. <laughs> and you've had this prayer too. I know you have. You've prayed, God, if you can just help somebody else like, learn this lesson and God's sitting there going, yeah, but it's like, there's some things you got to learn too. Like, See, in the first century it, for farmers, they didn't have hoses. They didn't have irrigation systems like we do. They didn't have Doppler radars to be able to see like, oh, the rain's coming, like, you know, or this like swarm of bees are coming up, you know, like, like they had no idea. They just had to walk out and go, well, looks like rain, doesn't look like rain. They had to feel the wind. They had to watch the sun. But in the midst of this waiting, they don't just like, farmers don't just sit back and go, well, we'll just wait and see what happens. What a farmer does in waiting is they identify what they are in control of and what they can't control. And in patience, as we wait on God's return, as we wait on the return of Jesus, and the reason that James does this is because he wants us to know the return of Jesus is real, that when Jesus does return, everything that we're walking through will be righted, that all of creation will be redeemed. And James says, while we wait like, wait like the farmer, we learn that we are not completely powerless. We are not completely powerless. See, here's the thing. The farmer, the farmer can control the work that they do. If they're lazy, they can control planting when they plant, weeding, making sure that they're watching out for bugs. They can, they can control which field they plant in. There's many things that the farmer is in control of in the midst of waiting. But the farmer can't make it rain. He can't make it not be scorching heat. He can't keep a swarm of bees away from it. And so in waiting, here's one of the things that that we really have to understand is that we are powerless in some things, but we are not powerless in all things, okay? In waiting, in difficult seasons, in difficult relationships, you are able to control how you respond. You are able to control what kind of boundary you place around somebody and the influence you allow them to have in your life. At work, you may not be able to dictate your entire schedule, but you are actually able to dictate some of your schedule probably. You're able to control, if you're a parent, your response to your kids and about them. See, many times, at least for me, when I walk through difficult seasons, I kind of throw this huge pity party and just, I'm like, ah, everything's out of my control. But the reality is, is I am actually able to control if I'm patient. You are able to control If you are a patient, you are able to have agency in that. Now, we can't control what somebody else does. We can't control how somebody else responds. We can't control what somebody else says. You also can't control if anyone agrees with you. Here's the thing too. I remember years ago talking to somebody and he said, Josh, you also can't control whether or not anybody understands you. I was like, yeah, but I really want them to. And he looked at me and he said this. He said, Josh, he said, do you think, he said, when you read the gospels, he said, do you feel like Jesus was understood? I had never thought about that. And he looked at me and he said, but Josh, you are able to decide what you do with that. And so like the farmer, James says, you are able to control your patience and what you do in your patience. And what we do in our patience goes a long way to determining the people we become. See, in patience, things are able to happen. Conversations are able to happen. Relationships are able to grow. Questions are able to be answered but we often want to shortcut that. I mean, I do. I want to shortcut that. I want to shortcut that in my kids so that they can hurry up and become the people that they're supposed to become, which is more like I just want them to become the people I want them to become. Like I, I want to shortcut God's answer to my prayers. So we talked about over this series. And James says, you actually don't get to do that. You don't get to shortcut faith. But here's something really important of what we do in our patience. He tells us in verse eight, we strengthen our hearts. We strengthen our hearts. See, a lot of times I think we we kind of Christian cliche some of this stuff of like, well, like, you know, just read your Bible and God will strengthen you. And that does happen when you read your Bible. I wanna be really clear. But James tells us to strengthen your hearts. So there's an active part on our part of our hearts being strengthened. So there's an active part, you read through scripture. What do do the writers of scripture do? They dig into the, the promises of God. They dig into their questions for God. The entire book of Psalms, a third of them are lamenting Psalms of asking God, why? What is going on? Where are you? What is this plan? The book of Jeremiah is basically Jeremiah saying, God, you tricked me. This is not at all what I thought you were getting me into. The book of Lamentations is just a whole book of lamenting. And yet that is part of strengthening your heart. It's part of strengthening your heart. And one of the things I would encourage you to do, one of the things that we did during COVID in Tucson is we walked our church through there of just how to lament and and we had everyone write a lament and just write it out. And then we just said, and now we give it to you, God. Because part of strengthening our hearts in moments of waiting is telling God that we're weak. Because your heart doesn't need to be strengthened if you're strong. And in waiting, and in disappointment, and in difficulty, it shows the vulnerability that we have. It shows the frailty that we have. And James says, strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. He reminds it again. And then, he gives us, and then he gives us a little bit of what to be careful of in these seasons. Look at verse nine, he says, brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door See, for me, I know in seasons of when I'm waiting, when God's not doing what I want Him to do, when God's not moving on my timetable and my patience is just running out, I want very, very badly to complain. And the reason is simple is because in difficulty and in disappointment and in waiting, we are just hurting. We're just hurting. And our hurt and our grief often comes out as anger. And it's because deep inside we know that the only way that it gets righted is when the Lord returns. We know that. And James says, the judge stands at the door. See, in the judgment of Jesus, it is a reminder of a couple of things, okay? The judgment of Jesus is a reminder that everything in our world that is an injustice will one day be righted. That everything that we walk through that is broken will one day be made new and be made in the way that God intended for it to be. But the judgment of Jesus also is, this is an important thing, because this is also part of, I think, our pain and disappointment and suffering. And it's because we carry things that we don't think Jesus will judge. We carry relationships that we're not sure Jesus will answer. And the judgment of Jesus I've had to learn for myself is, do I carry things, am I doing things for Jesus that I think he needs my help on? Or am I actually releasing those to Jesus? And so for me, I've had to ask, what am I carrying that I'm not supposed to carry? What am I letting go of that I'm actually supposed to pick up? What is it that God's speaking to me? And then to show us, James gives us an example. It's one of the few times in the New Testament that that the, that the book of Job is talked about. James tells us this. He says, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of James and Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no so that you won't fall under judgment. we turn the lights up? I don't know what happened. I don't know if we can turn those up or not so I can see everybody. Great. Thanks. So here's why this is important, okay? If you don't know who Job is, and maybe you're thinking, wait, isn't that pronounced job? It's not, okay? So the book of Job was one of the first books of the Old Testament written. It's believed to be written by Moses the book of Job, Job is a man who has incredible amounts of wealth and influence. He has land, he has cattle, he has a huge family. And we're told that also he has incredible faith in God. And we're told in Job chapter one that Satan comes to God and says, hey, the only reason that Job follows you is because you've blessed him. The only reason that, that Job it, it trusts you, worships you is because you have given Job all of this stuff You've given him sons and daughters, a great family, great land, prosperity. That's why Job trusts you. And God says, you can test him, but you can't kill him. You can do whatever you want, but you can't kill Job. And Satan proceeds to take. And Job loses it all to the point that he sits with his, with his friends and his wife, and they say, J- just, just curse God, just just give up. And Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. But blessed be the name of the Lord. And James gives us this example to say when endurance is called for, The Lord gives and the Lord takes. And it's this reminder. It's this reminder as we, as we sit in hospital rooms, as we sit in counseling rooms with people, as we, as we cry over a, a broken relationship, as we walk through physical pain, it is a reminder that none of those things got to you before they passed through the hand of God. But it is a reminder too that much of our pain and suffering and disappointment is also just a picture of the brokenness we walk in. But of asking, what has the Lord given? Because here's, here's the thing that I've seen in my life is when, when things are good and blessings are just kind of all over and relationships are easy, I rarely stop to say, God, thank you so much for giving I think I'm just doing great, that's me. I worked hard, you know, I I tried to do this. But Job reminds us that the Lord gives. but He also reminds us that the Lord takes. And this this is the crossroad. I mentioned this earlier, but I love this quote from Pastor Pete Scazzaro. He says, to mature in Jesus, and learn true faith requires we go through walls, dark nights, and valleys. Because there is no other way. There is no other way. See, James has said this again and again in this book. Growth, maturity in Jesus happens most often through difficulty, pain, suffering, doubt, hardship. The wall that Pete Scazzaro is referring to is this picture in our spiritual journey where we hit this wall and it is in that place where the only way through the wall is to dig into our intimacy with Jesus, to dig into those wounds that that we've run from and to dig into being with God instead of just doing stuff for God. And it is in those places where everything is stripped from us that we see these are the things that I looked for to make me whole. These are the relationships that I went after. These are the dreams that I went after. And so how do you do that? So Dana mentioned on the Connect card, if you check the Next Step email box tomorrow, we're gonna send to you just four simple questions from this passage that James asks us. Questions that we have to ask ourselves, I think especially in this season. Question that God wants to show us to dig us into that place to see what he's doing. See, the reality is is that suffering, patience, God-giving, and God-taking have a way of exposing our hearts. And sometimes they expose our hearts and we are thankful for what they expose because they have exposed maturity, they have exposed growth, and sometimes they expose things that we don't like. And so as we take communion today, here's how I want to encourage us to, to enter into that. Is to ask, God, is there anything that's being exposed in me that I need to confess? Is there anything that I'm doing for you, God, that is actually yours to do that I need to confess? And we do communion because we remind ourselves, what did Jesus say? Do this in remembrance of me until I return. And so in the same way that James says twice, the Lord's coming is near. When we come to the table, we remind ourselves that the grace that God has given to us is real, but also his return is just as real. Together, Father, we are at this place where we need you desperately and we need your spirit. I thank you that when you put us in situations that need patience. You're giving us chances to grow. You're giving us chances to dig into you. And so God, I pray that you would, you would help us Gotta pray for those right now who are walking through disappointment, who are walking through pain, physical, emotional, relational. Gotta pray for those who are grieving losses, the loss of loved ones. I pray right now that your presence and your grace would envelop us. I pray that as we come to the table and we remind ourselves of your grace and your redemption and freedom, but also that you will return, that you will right all the wrongs that you judge the injustices and you make all things new. In your name, amen.